Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Ajeline. And I'm Gracie. And I'm still sick. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hello, sick. My name is Ajeline. <laughs> oh, wow. We're doing dad jokes now. I do what You're I want. Fantastic. I'm basically a father. Wait, no. No, I'm not. My dad is <laughs> awful. He's okay. Like, he's not a bad person, but he does stuff that are like super problematic. And I hate to use that uh-huh. fucking snowflake word, but you know, whatevs. Like most men. Yeah, because <laughs> as as many of you know out there, the feminist critique, our motto is men are trash. We are the she woman man haters club. Yes, exactly. Where we say, down with men. They are the worst. They rape all women. What the fuck? What the fuck, Aisling? <laughs> they should stop raping women. Um, okay. I didn't know we were going to do that kind of joke. Oh, um... oh as Gracie goes, um, Aisling, that's not a funny joke to be talking about. No, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about like straw feminists that say stuff like that, not the actual act. Oh, yeah. The great straw man arg- argument. Yeah. Where, <laughs> you know, they're like, all men are rapists. And then every dude is just like, not all men. And it's like a back and forth, like, fuck, get a meninist and get a fucking straw feminist together. And like, that'll be fucking entertainment. You know what's the best entertainment, though? When you say that all men say not all men. Because then men have to grapple with the fact that they want to say not all men. Yeah. It's cruel. <laughs> it is really funny. cruel. It is pretty cruel <laughs> and also funny. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, here at the Feminist Critique, we are nothing like, uh, what the fuck's her name? Anita. Whatever. Did we say this Anita? last week? No, her name starts to... It's like Anita something, Gamergate. That chick. I don't fucking know oh, her name. Yeah. I don't remember that. <clears throat> I mean, I remember it, but I don't remember specifics. See, I'm not a very but good yeah. feminist because I don't know our straw feminist names. <laughs> I just know well, that... We're not she... talking about that today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoo, we've gone off topic real fast. Welcome to the Feminist Critique. Um, where we go off topic real fast. Actually, the Feminist Critique is a movie podcast where we talk about movies and we put them to feminist tests and then we decide if they're inclusive and feminist or not. And even if they aren't, are they good? Um, yeah, and this week... Yeah, because the, doing... because the thing is the movie being good is the most important part. If a movie is not feminist, it's okay I mean, we're just pointing out that, you know, some movies out there are just not really that feminist and like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, but you know, like you start writing some stories where maybe there's a female perspective. I don't know. There's just not a lot of that these days. Representation matters. And like, that's why, you know, it's starting to come out and every fucking dude is just like, Oh, why is all these movies with women all the time? And it's like, dude, you have fucking a hundred years of movies with dudes where it has tons of representation. Just fucking watch your 80s movies again. That's like pretty much all there is. Okay. The only thing we had in the 80s was the 
was fucking alien. Honey. Yeah. They've come out with a new movie that's about a woman taking revenge on a man. Bitch, I and saw like, that, yeah. Sorry I, I called you a bitch. I don't know. I don't remember what it's called. It's called Revenge. But the Yeah, you're right. But like they took um YouTube comments from assholes and used them in their marketing campaign and one of them was like another female embitchment movie embitchment movie. And I was like, you know what? Feminazi like the that. movie. Right. I'll probably end up I watching loved... it just because of that. I know, it's probably like some trash action movie, but because white dudes on YouTube are so triggered. Oh my god, <laughs> fucking get a and like Yeah. They fucking get triggered as if there's not all the representation in the world of a white dude. Like thirty six male white protagonists. Last year I had thirty seven. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we need to stop going on topic. Bad Ashlane. Um and uh talk about the movie that we're actually going to talk about today which is called in this corner of the world it's a it's a japanese anime uh film that was uh done in 2016 and um yeah gracie tell us what you were going to tell us before tell you what i don't know i cut you off so um it's fine I didn't do the stuff for the cast or anything because, you know, it's not my month to do it. Yeah, I know. I don't know. You don't have to go through what they've gone in. I do have the director and the writers. Oh, okay. But um, I do want to talk about the budget. The budget, it was um, 250 million yen, which is 2.2 million uh, US uh, dollars. And then the box office was 2.5 billion yen, and that is 22.5 million. So, um, it did pretty, pretty well. Yeah, it definitely made a profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the cast, uh, did you say you had the director? Yeah. Okay. Um, the director is Sun Sun S U N A O. Uh, Suno. Katabuchi. 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 K A T Katabuchi. K A T K A T A B U C H I, and he directed Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, okay. Um. And then it was written by Chi Yuritani, who, this was her first writing credit, but she's done a lot of work in the animation department. Yeah. Um, and it was also written by Katabuchi, who also wrote Princess Eret. Oh, so, yeah. That's what I got. Um, yeah, and uh, the two of them actually worked on Black Lagoon together as well, which is a fantastic anime. Um, Mm -hmm. they both worked on Kiki's delivery service. So I think the, both of them, um, worked, worked together for many years and, you know, came together again for this. Uh, it's based off of, uh, a manga called In This Corner of the World, um, same name. And that is by, uh, Fumiyo, uh, Kano. And, um, she, 
Um, she wrote this one, I think, in, I want to say, it was like 2007 to 2009. Like, it was over, because it is a pretty long series, right? And uh, in Japan, manga go kind of like in comic books. Well, they come out by volumes or whatever, right? And then they just kind of keep going on. It's kind of like comic books here in America, but... They have, like, full magazines where you just read, like, a bunch of different stories. It's really cool, actually. So, um, yeah. but, yeah, she she wrote this one. And then she's also known for her other uh, manga that came out in 2004, uh, which was called Town of Evening Calm, Country of Cherry Blossoms, which is, uh, it's a one-volume manga, but it's two different stories. And, um mm-hmm. And I do want to talk about this because um, this is how I was first introduced because her, her art style is much different than uh, what we're used to when it comes to anime, right? Um, I think I think I noticed that in the movie. It's, it's a little different than the other anime movies we've watched. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty simplistic, but it's also beautiful in its own way. And um, so I read this, I want to say maybe... 10 years ago or something and I just I was so moved by uh by her first one but I didn't know that she came out with a second one uh till maybe last year when I saw that there was a movie and I was like what she came out with a new book oh my god um but the her first book is um is about uh, survivors of Hiroshima and then like their their families afterwards and it all kind of connects into one basic story which um the reason why she writes these stories based off of Hiroshima is because she's from Hiroshima right so she knows the people she has grown up in that culture and um I think it's really important it's an important story to tell that doesn't especially to western audiences like we don't get that story too often um from world war ii uh unless it's you know something that's made over here um and it doesn't usually have a nice light for the japanese uh now there were a few movies that have come out since like not just this one uh about world war ii um one being you know uh, grave of the fireflies but um anyways this one I really liked this movie. That's all I have to say about that so far. <laughs> um, do you want to do the cast or? Um, yeah, just a little. We'll we'll name a few people, but uh, nothing too much. Um, so, uh, Suzu uh, Hojo, um, the Japanese voice actress, was uh, Reina uh, Nona Nen. And then the English was Laura Post. And uh, the young version was uh, Ava Pickard. Um, uh, Fuck. How how do you say her husband's name? Shuzaku? Shuzaku. Um, That was done by uh, Yoshi uh, Masa uh, Hosoya. And then the English was Todd uh, Haberkorn. Haberkorn? Corn? Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't make fun of me. God. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, so they were like the two main characters. Um, yeah, I don't want to. Well, they do did this. really good. Uh, they did really good voice work. Yeah. <laughs> well, all like both I of mean, them. You know, um, mm-hmm. we watched. I actually the dub. did listen to. I actually, I actually did watch this uh, partly with uh, just the subtitles. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, and on. then I made sure that I kept the subtitles on when I put the English dub on. That mm-hmm. way, I could see kind of the differences. But it was actually a really good English dub. It matched most of what the translated dialogue was on the bottom. So that's good. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, so the the story I guess we talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So the story um is about uh, Suzu, who is a young woman, and she's living, um in a seaside seaside town called Eba, which is uh, in Hiroshima City. Um, so I guess there's, like, different districts of Hiroshima. And um, it's, uh, it kind of goes to, like, her, her past a little bit, or it, like, starts off with the past and her childhood, right? Um, and the thing is, her family has a business where they cultivate uh, nori, which is edible seaweed. And... Um, when she was young, she went to Hiroshima, like the main city, to um, sell some nori. And uh, what ended up happening was she was kidnapped by um, by a, I mean, an ogre, I think. Well, I think that was just her imagination because she was retelling the story to her little sister. And so she made him out to be like this wolfman kind of guy. Yeah. But yeah. I'm pretty sure it was just a normal-looking person. She was just, you know... The thing with Suzu's character is she likes to, like... Daydream. Have a, she's a, Yeah, she's a daydreamer. She has a very active imagination, you know? Um, but it's really funny because they're in the back of the basket. She's like, he gave me candy or some shit. And, like, the little boy that's in the basket with her is like, we're being kidnapped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, the the little boy... Uh, her and the little boy, like she, she uses her smarts, and uh, what she does is she takes a piece of nori, and she cuts um, like stars and moons or whatever uh, over it, and puts it over like a telescope that the young boy had, so that um, they, and then they give it to the ogre who looks in, and he sees that it's night, and falls right uh he falls asleep and they escape and the reason for that is apparently ogres um can only walk around in the daytime and as soon as it gets dark they immediately fall asleep so that's how they tricked the ogre yeah yeah so and you know like this movie it's two hours long it covers a lot of her life Mm -hmm. like she's only 20 or so at the end of the movie but like you see snatches of nearly every part of her growing up and then when she gets older like this was a little snapshot and then i think after this is when they did the opening credits yeah i think so um and the music was so pretty it's yeah it was just the song was sad though. Yeah, it was just I don't know, it's like a really beautiful uh a really beautiful melody. Um 
So then it also uh, goes into like other parts of uh, of her life where she's, you know, helping her family make uh, Nori, right? And uh, one of the things is uh, her, her brother and her sister all go, um, what they say is across the sea, but uh, basically the tide's out. So they can go and visit um, their aunt and uncle and cousins and grandmother, which uh, who live quite, you know, not that far away, but, you know, it's hard to travel on water, right? So um, when the tide's out, they get to go over there, right? So um, and then their grandmother, you know, makes them a kimono and they have like, you know, really nice uh, family time. But you can kind of see that her... Uh, her brother is a bit of a bully and um, yells at her He's all the time. Asshole. He is an <laughs> asshole. Um, but yeah, he yells at uh, both her and her sister, which that comes up uh, later in the actual um, the actual movie. But uh, in the actual manga, what she would do is she would draw little comics about her brother being an ogre and his adventures. So, it, great. yeah, the thing is, like, the book, um, I suggest anybody read it because it's, it's very, it's a little bit more telling. Like, she is telling the story uh, through pictures, and then it's also telling um, about her life, obviously. it's It goes into, like, far more depth of every, you know, scene, which, which I really enjoyed. But, um Anyways, so I mean, you're talking about a manga that was being produced for two or three years, being yeah. condensed into two hours. Well, Quite I mean, it's difficult. Not, yeah, it is a it's a pretty big story. So, um, like it, it it's a it's a heavy book. Like I ended up buying it when I found out this movie came out, and it was like it was a pretty fucking big book, but. Um. So one of the things though, when they're over at. Uh, at their like cousin's house or whatever, right? Um, or aunt's, uh, they are all kind of sleeping in the hot sun after eating watermelon. And um, Suzu wakes up and sees that there's a little girl who's trying to eat like the watermelon off of the rinds that you know nobody wants anymore. And she thinks it's like a house spirit. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, and her grandmother knows you know about this house spirit and then also what ends up happening was um the she leaves her kimono at her grandparents place and her grandmother actually gives the kimono to the to the spirit girl yeah because she's not really a spirit imagine that (laughs) yeah she's just a little girl who it kind of goes into the her story a little bit later um, in the movie, but uh, we'll talk about that when the time comes. But um... yeah, um, and then we uh, one of the snatch snapshots is when she meets. Um, well, she doesn't meet him; she knows him. God, what was his name? <sighs> the one that hated the ocean. Jesus, it started with an M. Um, I know who you mean. Oh. He was um. He was an he, asshole too. Yeah, he's like her family friend, or like a friend of hers, or whatever, like a family friend who, um, mm-hmm. Mizuharu, Hara. Mizuharu, that's yeah. It. Um, yeah, he um he you know like it's after school, and she 
she's, you know, doesn't have any more money for a new pencil, so she's got this little tiny nub, and uh, she finishes her art class project, and she goes outside, and she sees um, what's-his-face sitting there at the ocean, and he's talking about how much he hates the fucking ocean. Because yeah, it, then... it killed his brother. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she decides to draw for him like he asked her to, and he mentioned something about how the waves look like little white rabbits. So when she draws it, she draws the ocean with little white rabbits for waves. And it's it's and really he... cute. And yeah, so she yeah. she finishes the drawing for him, and he's you know takes it and uh, and submits it for for his school project or whatever because he's not mm-hmm. good at drawing. Um. So all of these all kind of connect and, to. And he... And he gives her his pencil. Oh, yeah, that too. Draw, mm-hmm. Which was cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then we just basically get snippets. Well, exactly. It just kind of tells... <laughs> um, it's all connected, right, to, like, the main, uh, the main story. So it kind of um, goes ahead. This is all happening, by the way, in the 1930s, uh, Japan. Um, but then we, we go up a little bit, and that is in 1944 and uh suzu is now 18 years old right and she is working for um her grandmother's uh like small business um and they're cultivating evading nori and uh apparently her parents um used to do this but um because of uh, was it land like yeah the land was basically taken yeah for so. uh, for uses for the Japanese government, yeah, and so they weren't able to produce the nori anymore, which makes sense because this um this is World War two Japan, right, and there's uh there's a huge war machine going on um during yeah. this time period, but it doesn't really it it shows snippets of what it's like, but it doesn't really get like right into the nitty gritty of um of military like life yeah it's it's well over halfway into the movie before you really see what's going on as far as outside of uh what's going on in suzu's life yeah except for like i mean you see how the rationing is affecting her and her family but they aren't really talking about the war and nothing really becomes real until like later on in the movie when shit starts to go bad so um so she's working and she's told by her parents that an you know a young man from uh Kure uh city which is uh, a town about 15 miles away from Hiroshima uh has come to propose marriage to her right his name is uh Shahus Shahuzaku Shusaku shut up um, but yeah, he lives in uh, Kure City with his family, and um, and he's a Navy civilian, so he's not actually in the military, but he's working as a civilian for the Navy. Um, for whatever reason, he can't uh, get into the military. It doesn't really say why, but that's you know where it is now. It turns out that this little boy, or not little boy, but this young man um, is the little boy that uh, she met in Hiroshima um, when they were both being kidnapped. Yeah, in the basket. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the re- he knew her name because her name was on her sock, but she didn't know his name. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of weird. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, you like, like... I want to get... I want to get married to this girl that I met when I was seven. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think he was a, he's he like was, a little bit a little older. older than seven. <laughs> yeah, I think this was like 10 think, years. So I think she was eight and he was probably um, 12, I think. Yeah, I think he's 22. Yeah. But holy shit. Okay, whatever, dude. Um, I don't know either. <laughs> but anyway, so um, she just, you know. She's young and she decides to accept this marriage and she ends up uh, going to marry him, right? Um, and meeting his, you know, family and it's kind of all arranged uh, real fast. Um, yeah, which is uh, which is typical of the time period still. Well, I um, think, yes. Um, I know in Japan and in China, like, matchmakers were used way up into the 40s. Oh, still, wow. As a means of arranging marriages. Um, that's also something that's explored in uh, Amy Tan's novel. Uh, oh my god, I'm totally blanking. Fuck. What the hell? You know that? what movie? You you know what book I'm talking about, right? No, I don't. I have no clue what the fuck oh you're talking about. Oh my god, I hate myself right now. It's about four women and their mothers, and their mothers are Chinese. Oh, the China. Joy Luck Club. Yes! Thank you. I totally spaced. But yeah, like, even in the Joy Luck, Joy Luck Club, they use uh, they use matchmakers for the mothers, and the mothers grew up before World War II. Oh, okay. You know, or right after World War II. Yeah. Um, God, I had such a moment. I was, oh. was going to say, I was like, uh, are, you, are you having a stroke? <laughs> um... <laughs> So it starts talking a little bit more about her her daily life and uh, being introduced to the cast of characters that um, are in her new family, uh, which include her new um, her new mother in law, who is you know a very gentle woman um, and she's very kind hearted, but she does have a bad leg, so um, Suzu's there to help her with like the daily chores and stuff. Um, then she also you know meets her. Father-in-law. Which is typical. Well, exactly. And um, his family are like, I don't know, they're all like really nice people. Like they actually, you know, are pretty caring. Um, Except for her sister-in-law who hates her at first. Yeah, which that's a whole nother story. But um, yeah, her father-in-law, he's uh, an engineer at... um, for aircraft engines, right? And um, he's very calm. Um, but, you know, he's pretty serious. He rarely, rarely gets angry. Um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, his character. And then and then we meet Kiko, who is um, her sister-in-law. And uh, she's she's got two children. And she's also a widow. And um, in her youth, like in the 1920s, she was considered like a very fashionable lady, a modern woman who wore, you know, those kind of like flapper dresses, like hats, bell hats. And uh, Kika was a woman that marched to her own drum. She met her husband and decided she was going to marry him. She didn't give a fuck about matchmakers. She fell in love with this man that was a little bit older than her. Yeah. 
you know, had two kids with him. Her oldest son uh, ended up being put into the service, I think. No, her oldest, uh, her son, she had to give to her late um, husband's parents, which is, uh, they live in another city, which um, it doesn't really say where it is, but it's, um, it's a fair distance away from Hiroshima, right? So, um, yeah, and then she ends up, right? yeah, but she ends up taking care of her uh, younger daughter, who is um, about six, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, but. um, Harumi, right? Yeah, Harumi. Um, But yeah, in the beginning, she's pretty cold towards uh, Suzu and um, she like kind of. I don't know, it takes her a while to, like, I guess, warm up, but she she has a very strict, like, blunt personality, like, fucking get your yeah, shit like, together. She She's like, I can't believe you're wearing that. I thought my brother married some woman from Hiroshima that was, you know, fashionable, a city dweller, and look at you, like, that's so tacky. And then she's like, you know what, bitch? I'm going to do all the cooking and shit because obviously you can't, you know. And so Suzu's like, okay, I guess I'll go work on my kimono so that I look nice. <laughs> yeah. So she ends up, yeah, and that's the thing. Her sister ends up, uh, or Suzu ends up, like, working on this um, this one outfit. Uh, it's not a kimono, but it's, like, um, it's a particular dress that they were wearing in the 1930s, which was basically pants. It was like the top part was kind of a kimono, but then the bottom part was trouser- trousers. Yeah, and the poor girl can't sew for shit. Yeah, she's she's not exactly great at that. But then we also meet um, Harumi, who is six years old, and uh, she's very fun. She gets along with... Suzu and uh, Suzu actually makes her like a little little cute handbag right and she's Mm -hmm. uh, very fond of seeing warships at sea um, because her brother loves ships as well and he tells her about it um, when they were all like living together right so um, you know she's just the typical little girl who finds things interesting and you know it's wartime right so it's all around her what else what else are you going to be interested in when that's all you're surrounded by? Yeah, so... I mean, and then, like, after this, after Kiko does all of this shit, she's like, well, why don't you visit your family? Yeah, Kiko's a fucking... And, like, the smart thing for Suzu to do was to not go, but she did. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean... I mean, the whole point of Kiko saying anything about it was to, you know, kind of show Suzu as being this lazy girl who didn't deserve to be part of the family or something, I guess. Yeah. But, like, she's trying to show up. Like, Mom, you don't need this little girl. I can do all of this shit that she's doing. Well, that's the thing. Um, <laughs> Kiko lives away, like, in the main town of Kure. And um, the family lives, uh, like, on the hillside of uh, one of the seven mountains that surround Kure City. So, um, 
anyways, what ends up happening is Kiko's house, uh, most of the wood is taken from Kiko's house uh, so that, you know, people can use it for, you know, war effort. And they end up taking some of it for like a bomb, um, a bomb shelter. Yeah, I do think one of the funniest things, though, about Suzu going back home for that little visit was that uh, the reason that she went back home is because she was getting a bald spot from all the stress. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So she goes home and she ends up, like, drawing parts of uh, Hiroshima um, City and uh, just to, you know, remember it by, right, before she goes back to, like, her new her new home and um and she well she's drawing it turns out she draws a little bit too much and she has to go back home to her parents house because she missed out on the train like because all the tickets were sold um so her parents like her parents know that she's a fucking space case so (laughs) she gets so inside of her own head so many times in this movie yeah I'm like, kind of me is with her, though. Like, because I get that, like, get like that sometimes, where I'm just, like, off in my own little world, and then time has passed, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, she's very sweet and stuff. She just, she's got to be a little bit more attentive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, what's the next part that happens in this movie? Well, I mean, I can't remember exactly, because there's a lot of snippets. But I do know that one day she's uh, sent to town to get stuff for um for dinner or uh oh her the rationings Harume Harume they um they see ants and the ants are in the sugar and so they're trying to save the sugar and they put the sugar bowl in some water. Uh huh. But then oh, it sinks. Yeah. And so, she, and sugar's already rationed badly. So now she has to go to the black market to get more sugar. Yeah. And she gets lost on her way back home because she's not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And she ends up uh, in the red light district where there's a lot of women there that are super pretty, and she's like, "Where the fuck am I?" Like she's like, I don't understand. This doesn't look like any other part of the city. I'm so confused. And it smells so good. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so she meets uh, a young uh what's the word? Prostitute? Lady of the I night. Guess. Um I mean geisha doesn't sound appropriate. No, she's definitely not no a courtesan, sorry. Yeah, there Courtesan you go. is the uh, appropriate. way different. Yeah, that's a uh, new. No. Um, so this <laughs> this courtesan, she's working in Corey, and um, the her name is Rin, and she actually helps um, helps her like get out of the red light district and like back towards her home, and. Um, Rin has more of a story than is let on from the actual, like, initial interaction. Um, There's also the fact that in... um, I want to say in the actual... uh, In the actual book, it tells uh, of Rin a little bit more and, and talks about her story. 
um, including the fact that uh, Suzu goes and sees her a few times, not just once. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, and then there's also the case like when she's drawing on the ground um, like different things to kind of entertain uh, Rin. She's actually doing that in the book for um, another courtesan that's by the window, but she's dying of like TB or something. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's very sick, and she ends up like this other courtesan ends up passing away, right? But Rin doesn't yet. Um, but yeah, we'll talk a little, <laughs> we'll talk a little, spoiler alert, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, but yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Rin because there, there is, it explains her story a little bit more at the end of the movie, which somebody didn't watch. Okay. Well, I didn't know that there were end credit scenes. Okay. Forgive me. God, it's called the Marvel <laughs> role, Gracie. The credits started rolling. I thought, oh, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, well. Because nobody told me that there were end credit scenes. Otherwise, I would have watched them. Okay. Anyways. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's like you said. There's a lot of, like, different snippets from this uh, from this movie. There's um, It explains a little bit about the rationing and uh, how there's a lot of food store- shortages um and then yeah. also um she, it shows she and kiko well she, she and kiko start to develop a relationship that's not you know terrible well exactly and she's also um the other thing that they were um showing is how to make certain foods because food was so scarce uh one of mm-hmm. them being uh samurai rice which turns out to be disgusting <laughs> way to make rice so yeah. Not how it's made, oh. but just the taste, I guess. Oh, there was that one part where she got caught drawing by the military police. And, oh, like, she yes. she's freaking out. They accuse her of espionage, so she's tripping, right? And the military well, police, they bring well, her Well, that's home. the thing. She's she's out in the garden, right? And she has, uh, she has her notebook, and she's just, she's drawing the ships on the horizon, uh, of Bad the Bay girl. of Kuri, right? <laughs> and the reason why she's doing that is uh, because she wants to draw, she wants to draw them for her nephew who enjoys ships. Um, you know, just like she's trying to be nice. Well, the military police end up seeing her there drawing and think that she's um, she's a spy and that she's drawing for espionage or whatever, right? So he ends up, or they end up like taking her home and yelling at her family and being and like raiding the house and trying to find shit and then they're like you know you better keep an eye on her and report anything suspicious so she is like totally she's wigged out right yeah she's like oh my god i'm gonna get arrested and then like her husband comes home and that's when her family explains what happens and then they all bust out laughing because they think it's so funny that she's just so empty-headed sometimes. <laughs> that she would never be a spy because because she's the way she is, right? <laughs> so it was funny. She's like, I don't think it's funny. It was though. Oh yeah. Um, they end up building like I an mean, air kind raid. Of terrifying, but <laughs> they end up also building an air raid shelter in the garden, and that's you know because just in case, right? Um, 
so the oh and then the other part is uh later on um she sees her old friend from when she was a child uh and that is uh tetsu right who like comes and oh, wait, visits wait 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 wait, 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 wait. we skipped a part oh, which part we skipped a part we skipped the part where her husband uses a ruse to get her to come to town. Then he's like, you know, I was going to take you to the theater. And, like, it's really cute. Oh, he takes yeah. her out because they don't have a normal marriage, you know? And so they haven't really spent time together because of what's going on. Like, he's gone all day. The only time they see each other is at night. Mm-hmm. And so he decides to call her and is like, hey, I need this notebook. And so she comes to the base where he's working. And then he's like, oh, it was just a ruse to get you out of the house. And then he, like, takes her on a cute little date and everything. And then uh, he's, he's, they're at the bridge, and they have a sweet talk about how, you know, this is where they first met and everything like that. And Oh, no, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't there. That was another part. Oh well, oh, well, I know that they're talking at the bridge. And then he says, you know, Suzu, you've actually lost your appetite lately for some reason. And she thinks she's pregnant. Well, yeah, so then there's the next part where, like, they put, like, a lot of food in front of her, right? And they're like, you're eating for two now. You have to, you know. And then, like, very soon after, uh, she finds out that she is not pregnant. And her sister-in-law takes the food away. And she's like, you ate a lot at breakfast, so you can't have that much now. (laughs) It was cute. Yeah. And, and like Susan's like that's fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so okay, now we can talk about your yeah. Pre- so like the thing the is like friend. they're they're lovely, humorous little episodes of her daily life and uh, how she is falling in love with her husband. Um, mm-hmm. so then this next part is when her uh, her childhood friend comes to visit. Uh, the family and it's because he like his ship was um was uh in the in the bay or whatever so he got some shore leave and you know being that like his family is not right there he decides to go and visit her and um they all kind of realize that this might be her last chance to see him alive too so yeah yeah and he kind of just tells like uh, Harumi's like all over him and that's because you know she, he's a sailor and she wants to be a sailor when she grows up too right mm-hmm. so she's and he's an asshole though yeah he's not <laughs> a great character he, he's really a dick to her and her family but like I think what was so weird about it is that you know, the way she reacts to him is more lively than she reacts with her husband. Like, she never gets angry with her husband. Mm-hmm. So her husband thinks that she has feelings for this guy because she's showing more emotion around him. And he basically, like, puts them together and is, like, kind of giving her this chance to cheat on him. Yeah. It, it was weird. Like, I understand, like, he's, his his intentions were, you know... I'm not going to rob her of the chance to spend time with the one person she might truly love. And then it gets to that point and Suzu's like, I actually don't want to anymore because I'm in love with my husband. Well, the thing is, she did have a crush on 
on him and she was convinced that the two of them because it shows that right before she goes to get married he like confronts Mm -hmm. her and he's like oh so you're gonna go and marry like this unknown dude like what the hell and she's like well i thought it was you who was actually asking for my hand in marriage like and he was like oh no i'm actually going off to the navy so like they kind of have this like weird moment but yeah she um the two of them are in that storage like store the storehouse or whatever right and uh and he tries to he tries to kiss her and uh and she like pushes him away and she's like no like we're friends you know but no she's like i hate him i hate him so much talking about her husband she's like i can't believe he would do this to me oh my god and then uh her friend is like oh you actually love him she's like yeah but I hate that I love him. It was kind of funny. And, like, he starts laughing. He's like, huh, my one chance, and it's all fucked up because you actually love the man that you were forced into marrying. How about that? Yeah. Sucks for me. And, and that's... Totally... Sorry? <laughs> I was going to say, he's like, I totally fucked up the, my leave time by thinking I was going to get some. Mm-hmm. Should have <laughs> gone to the red light district. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah, so that's kind of where that ends. He he goes off uh, back to um, it's a Japanese cruiser called the uh, Ebo Eba or something. Um, yeah, and then we find out that Suzu's brother has disappeared and or died. Yeah, I think wasn't he in the navy too? Yeah, he was yeah, in the like navy. Yeah, like his ship went down or something. So that's the thing when the ship goes down, like. There's a good chance that, you know, they're gone, which is sad. Yeah, and her sister, her sister, like, they open the box and it's a rock, but her sister's like, oh my god, it's his brain. Yeah. Honey. I have to say, though, like, the sister relationship between Suzu and, I can't remember her sister's name, Um. but it was so cute. Like... You know, and her sister's like, Sumi. you know, there's this really nice boy on base, you know, and he, he, you know, gives me extra rations and stuff like that, and he's, he's super cute, and, you know, Susie's like, oh, you're gonna get married. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're adorable, okay? Yeah, you can tell that they're, I think they're they, bo- they definitely bonded over the fact that they both hated their fucking brother, so... <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, later on in the movie, Susan's like, I'm not even, like, I'm not even grieving my brother. Like, <laughs> it's not why I'm mad or upset. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. There was no love loss. So, um, this is the part where, uh, the story kind of starts to get, uh, difficult now. Um, this is the dark part. Yeah, she's uh, Zakiku, or he, um, her husband. He's drafted by the navy, and he has to go to a, a city that's um, forty miles away from Kure, uh, to to train. So he goes off. Yeah, but this was this was after that first battle scene. Oh yeah, because like, the that first... first air raid. Oh yeah, because there's the one where they're. Um, they're up in the garden and she's with Harumi, uh, Harumi, right? 
and um, she sees paint splatters, um, but they're really yeah. like bombs and 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 shot like guns and stuff, right? Um, Honestly, though, like that scene for how horrific like a air raid must have been was so beautifully drawn. Yeah, um, it was weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and her father-in-law actually comes, uh, like, s- sees that they're just standing there, and he's like, take cover, cover her head, right? So he, like... What the fuck? He, yeah, he goes to, like, you know, sh- shelter them, right? And um, and they're talking, or her father-in-law is, like, talking about the engines, and he's, because he works on Isn't them, right? Is father-in-law? I thought, I thought it was just some random person. No, it was her father-in-law. Oh. Yeah, and he's talking okay. about like the engines, right? And how um like how good they are compared to like the old engines and cuz he works on them, right? Um right. and as he's talking about it, he um he 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 falls like he slumps over on on top of them, right? And they start freaking out cuz they think he's died. Uh, and it turns out yeah. he just worked all night and he actually fell asleep during the raid <laughs> and they're all like crying and he and her husband's like or no his wife is like I know you worked all night but you fell asleep during the air raid like isn't that how do you sleep through how, that? Do, you, how do you do that and he's laughing and they're crying and it's you know it's kind of funny what can you do what can you do yeah I mean so, um, it, it kind of, um, yeah, this is the part where it starts to get really dark and we Super start to see, dark. and we start to see the parts of the war that, um, aren't really discussed when it comes to civilian life in Japan. Um, we don't get to see this kind of story from like the American point of view, but the, the fact is that, yeah. what the, Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. There was like a weird sound. <laughs> what the fuck did you do? I don't know. Okay. I didn't do nothing. Did you like move or something? No. Okay. Anyways. So um shoot, where basically, was Basically like this well basically the like next 20 minutes of the movie is a whole bunch of air raids. We well, yeah. air raid alarms. Well, yeah, because, like, you have to think that what I was going to say is um, most of the fighting was on Japanese soil. We, like, in America, you guys, like, other than Pearl Harbor, which, don't get me wrong, was horrific, right? Yeah, well, don't don't go too much into the specifics, because after we talk about the end of this movie, I'm going to... Uh... To give some specifics. <laughs> yeah, but most of the fighting was in Japan and in the East. So I'm not saying that. I think they yeah, suffered we'll, more. We'll get to that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because um, like there's there's more there's way more that you probably have to talk about. But um, yeah, so the U.S. starts doing aeroids on the Japanese mainland and in Kure, um because it's a major like naval base, it's it's getting heavily attacked, um, especially in the urban areas where there's um, yeah. there's firebombs. There's it's it's really sad. 
Yeah, they think that her father-in-law gets killed, but then he ends up just, you know, suffering from a really bad concussion, and they find him in a hospital. But, yeah, they found him, like, two months later. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) and I I hate to, like, I'm going to bring this up again, but, like, this part. No, it reminded me of this part where it was, like, imagine how my fucking great-grandmother had felt when her husband went missing after the air raids like yeah it was that's a horrific feeling they thought that you know the grandfather was dead so which you know kind of parallels what happened to my own family thinking that Mm -hmm. my great-grandfather was dead for six weeks i think yeah it was six weeks yeah like that's a long time well, I mean, after after they find him, like, I think they have to go to town, and it's Kiko, uh, Harumi, and Suzu. Yeah. And they all go to town, because I think Kiko's getting some train tickets. Well, yeah, she's getting train tickets for her and uh, Harumi, because she's going to take Harumi to um, her husband's family, because... There's been a lot of, you know... Things are so bad. Yeah, because there's been a lot of um, uh, air raids, and she's worried for her child. And, um, yeah, and so Suzu so and her- Harumi go uh, go off to, uh, to go and visit um, the father, like the... Yeah, the, yeah. the father-in-law, right? And... Um, they, you know, they have, like, a nice visit, and uh, Harumi asks, you know, is talking to some of the soldiers like little kids do. Um, but as they're in the city kind of trying to get back to the train station... Um, this really bad air raid hits. Yeah, so um, the the alarms go off, and they have to... They can't get back anywhere, so they have to go to, a, like, a public... Um, or another, like, air raid shelter, and they end up going into... Uh, like one in the city and um so yeah Suzu comforts her roommate the whole time you know they she's drawing they get through it okay Hmm? yeah well she's drawing pictures and saying like you know just trying to comfort the little girl doing something that is pretty scary but as they leave um they see that the house that was just there um is, is destroyed is destroyed and the woman who lives there is just kind of staring at it and uh they drink a little bit of water from from the woman's well or whatever and um the woman doesn't say anything but you can tell that she's devastated she's in shock like it's awful and then they're walking along and there's this like crater nearby and harume says something about it well, because she can see the ships now because there's a big wall where they're unable to see the ships and Harumi just wants to see the ships. She's a little girl yeah. who loves them. She's not thinking. Um, so there is this hole in the wall from one of the uh, the bombs that had dropped. Um, but it And can... um, the American army had time-delayed bombs, you know? Yeah. So they didn't go off as soon as they hit the ground. They would be on the ground for five minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, however long they set the timer, and then they would go off. And Suzu realizes that's what's underneath them. And she tries 
to get Harume, but she isn't able to and... because Harume is on the side of where the bomb hits. Now, the way they show this part is interesting. Like, it's not horrific in how it's shown. It's like a child's drawing. Yeah. I guess. It's... And you can hear... Yeah, it was so sad. I was so sad. I was like, oh my god. And Susie's going through this, you know, maybe... She should have been on the left hand. Well, it doesn't and, really explain you know... it until like, cause it's 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 just pitch black, right? And it's um, it shows like children's drawings of like in white, compared to the mm-hmm. to the black, and uh, it it just shows that you know that something something happened, like the bomb went off, and like it's almost like that quiet sound, and then there's like um like a crackling and yeah you don't know if like you don't know what's going on and it isn't until she wakes up that we find out what happened yeah and poor little harume didn't make it and suzu's lost her hand her drawing hand and she goes through a really bad uh really bad time about all of it you know, the the losing her roommate. She blames herself for her roommate's death. Um, she starts thinking about how I used to do all this with my right hand, and now I don't well, have. Well, there right is hand also anymore. the case of like when she wakes up, Kiko blames Suzu for her daughter's death. Yeah, and she takes it hard. You know, well, like, yeah. Yeah, she does. She takes it, was, it hard, and she's like, you're the one who killed her. It was your fault. It's it's a really sad moment. Yeah. And it doesn't get much better than that. And, like, Suzu goes through this patch of just, like, I don't know. She's really depressed. And they keep having these air raids. And at one point, she's just standing while there's an air raid happening, and they're dropping parachutes flares uh, yeah. and um, like one hits the house and she's just, just watching it burn for a minute and she can hear her father-in-law like Suzu you need to hurry up and get in this bomb shelter like what the fuck are you doing but she ends up and like then, it kind of like clicks and she goes running for water and um, and she also gets the futon and she like puts the futon on top of the fire and nearly like, sets herself on fire yeah and she's kind of like but she's rolling, trying to save the house, which she does. Yep. Um, yep. And at this point, you know, we're uh, there's there's a lot of these air raids that are going on constantly, and she's yeah. um. Then there's another there's another air raid where her husband is home, and uh, you know she's just standing there while it's happening, and he like covers her up it's like what the fuck are you doing basically and she's like i just i'm tired of it i want to go home i want to go to home to hiroshima i'm tired of this you know oh that was the one where her like it seemed like she was starting to kind of get better at that point because um like he's off for a few months but he ends up coming uh coming back and um what she sees is a crane 
um, which most of them are in Hiroshima, but she she saw this crane and she started chasing after it, telling it to like, to go because there's an air raid and she didn't want it to die, right? And um, at this point, that's when there's like a plane that starts firing and uh, she almost dies and gets hit, but it ends up hitting her purse. And uh, one of the things that it um, hits is the she was given like a lip uh like a lip rouge from rin and um the plane like just go like it rips her bag apart including that yeah and then her husband is throwing her into a ditch and covering her going you know like what the fuck suzu yeah well because she's like freaking out she's like you know what fuck this i'm tired of all this i'm tired of all this war I'm tired of all these air raids. I'm tired of not being able to sleep. I'm tired of the paranoia. I just want to go home. Because she thinks Hiroshima is going to be, you know, comfort. Because they're not having all the air raids that they're having where she's at now. And she's she's lost her mind. Which, all things considered, she deserved it. Well, (laughs) because, yeah, because there was that one part where, you know, people um, said glad. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad. And it it goes through, like, this montage of people saying, like, I'm glad that, you know, you're doing better. I'm glad that, you know, whether it's the doctor, her her family. um, Yeah, everybody's glad. And she's like, what the fuck are you happy about? Like, what do we have to be glad about? Because she just lost. um, Because her her hand is a devastating loss um, because she she draws. Right. And that's um, that that was a big part of who she was, was she was very good at drawing. And now she doesn't have this hand that was so good at drawing anymore. Um, So it probably feels like it was, you know, a part of her identity that was lost at this point. Not to mention she's still grieving Harume. That too, which she had a very close relationship with the little girl. And you can, you know, from, you know, previous in the movie, you can see that, right? Um, So, yeah, she she decides that she's going to go home um, because her sister comes and visits her and she's like, hey, why don't you come home and like, you know, the local summer festival will be going on on uh, August 6th and like you can come home and we'll... You know, like, you can stay for a little bit or whatever, right? But um, what ends up happening was she could only get a doctor's appointment on August 6th, um, which... So she was going to do the doctor's appointment and then take the train to go to Hiroshima. Yeah, which... So she she comes back from her doctor's appointment that day. No, she doesn't even go to the doctor's appointment. Oh, that's right. But she's packing to leave. Well, yeah, because she talks to her sister, Kiko, right? Or her sister-in-law. And um, and Kiko is not too happy about her leaving, which is kind of a, a one, uh, 180 turn there, right? Yeah. Because she was like, you leave. And now she's like, I want you to stay. Um, so as they're talking, she can see that Kiko doesn't want her to leave. And Kiko also apologizes for blaming her for Harumi's death because and this has been two months since that actually has happened at this point right so yeah. I mean things are still pretty rough like 
But, you know, Susie realizes that Kiko really didn't mean what she said, which was part of the driving force of her wanting to go home. Yeah. was because she knew that she thought that Kiko was furious with her. Yeah. And wouldn't stop blaming her for what happened to her roommate. So, so Kiko you know, is like helping Susie her decides... to get ready for this doctor's appointment. And uh, one of the things Kiko asks is like, hey, do you want me to wash this? And then she's like, oh, no, I'm not going to wash it because you're leaving anyways. Right. But then Suzu, as her way of saying I'm staying, she asked her sister, can you wash this? And then you can see this like bright flashing light. And they're like, well, lightning doesn't happen during a sunny day that's weird and they walk outside and they can see this big huge mushroom cloud far well, away well because you know. at first right they like the flash happens and, and then, then a shutter and then there's that shut that horrifying shutter where like everything starts shaking and they're like what the fuck just happened and they go outside because uh the father-in-law is like come and check out this this cloud and um that was a moment where like it kind of went back to a to a part where Kasuzu knows stuff about clouds and she taught something to her roomie um mm-hmm. about that before it started raining but anyways she this cloud kind of looks like it's a thundercloud but it doesn't yeah and they try to get the radio to work but there's nothing coming out of their local radio station which is you know broadcast from Hiroshima yeah and then like it kind of you know they finally figure out what's happened is there's been this huge bombing and then they listen on the radio as the emperor um, decides to abdicate and well, surrender it's to not US quite troops. at that part it it goes through some of the the things that have happened beforehand um we don't really get to see like what has happened which i think is pretty it was a good direction but you know from we just see it from the outside um because um but yeah it it mentions that and that um you know many citizens had passed away and uh but you know suzu was not really able to get information about her family or anything uh for quite some time and um and another you know uh issue before like the radio address is um they're they're gathering things and items to to bring to Hiroshima because Hiroshima had sent items when Kure was not doing well. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things that Suzu uh, does is she cuts her hair because she wants to go and get news from her family, but they tell her no because she only has. She's one. still. She's, yeah, she's still not doing too hot. <laughs> I think it's mostly because she only has one hand. Yeah. So, she wasn't going to be helpful. No, she was in more of a hindrance. So, yeah, but they um, were kind of they kind of let her down as gently as possible. Like, no, you're wounded. You you need to stay here. It's, um, it's and then there's also you know something else that we see, and that is that there's somebody who is sitting, um, on the corner of a place, which I think actually has uh, some historical significance, and um. It's somebody who had walked from Hiroshima to Kure, uh, and he was 
like extremely injured, but he walked the whole way. And um, I heard of a story like that from like years ago. So I don't yeah. know if it's actually true, but I, yeah. I had a history teacher in high school whose son lives in Hiroshima. Um, and his son is married to a Japanese woman and they have two beautiful children and um like he's been to Hiroshima visiting his son and he went to the museum there and there were actually cases of things like that where people managed to walk away but then they ended up dying because they were so radioactive yeah you know yeah and, i heard uh, that in like, a documentary years ago so the bombing was so bad that there were shadows etched onto, like, the shadows were burned into the sidewalk of this kid, like, on a bicycle, or these people walking. Like, the heat of it was so bad that these bodies just disintegrated, and it was so instant that their shadows were actually able to be seen because of the damage going around the person as it disintegrated them. Like, it's awful. Yeah. Oof. It's... Which, again, we'll get into after we finish talking. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, you know, a moment where it's it's pretty horrific. Um now it does get to a point where you know the the radio address um is given by the emperor of japan announcing the end of the war and that they they have lost and uh suzu who has you know faced many tragedies during this war like she's a different woman um she's like what the fuck like we're really gonna give up after all of this suffering mm -hmm. you know like because from her perspective, like, the Americans are the bad guys. Exactly. So like, she's like, these are evil, cruel people that have destroyed this city, that have constantly bombarded my, my town with air raids. They're evil, and now they've won? And now they're going to occupy where I live? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, she she has a well-deserved freak out. Well, exactly. She's on know? the ground. She's her tears are just rolling and she's she's completely devastated. And, you know, she falls into like this like this despair over over this, you know, monumental moment because she she has given up so much for this war only for it to be like, well, we lost. And that yeah. that's a moment that um many of us from the uh from the West don't realize because like we won the war and you know, we were having victory parties and you know, you see that fucking picture where, you know, the sailors kissing the the nurse, which is fucking assault sexual assault fucking sexual assault but you know whatever so romantic um but like when we think of the war we think of that aspect of the war we romanticize it but it's yeah. different in japan because yeah yeah 
But, I mean, after she has her freak out, they go through a bad spell, but then as the American occupation takes over, you know, um, she comes to find that with the American occupation, like, the rations get a little better, you know, and if they help the Americans, they get candy and shit like that, you know, like, yeah, she ended up getting... it's not, it's not so terrible under American occupation as she thought it was going to be, and it, yeah. and and you know they're able to eat good food again well like one of the things the food they got had trash in it well that, yeah so they're lining up for you know some of the some of the food which is like basically a soup of you know leftovers Everything. or whatever right yeah um but there's like a piece of paper trash in it and kiko's like what the fuck but they end up having some and they're like oh my god it's so delicious it's like real food that you know for how because long it's something other than white rice well they weren't even having white rice they were having like no, they were they had like you know wild rice like gray yeah. rice i guess i sorry i say yeah. that as like i don't know when I was growing up, somebody but used I, to make rice that looked gray, and I don't know why it looked gray, but it looked fucking nasty. So that's the rice that I assume that they are eating. Well, they, you know, in the end, she, uh, she and uh, her husband are... There's this weird scene where it kind of, like, takes you back and you see the evidence. Like, you well, go we're not the there yet. No? No. Um, it's forever to get through this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. We're like yes. a fucking hour into it. Um, yeah, so... Get us there, Aisling. <laughs> okay, so she goes to visit her grandmother's house, right? The family house. Um, and uh, that's west of Hiroshima, out of the effective area. And she goes to see her sister, who has taken, you know, ref refuge. She is... Her sister is the only survivor of the family. And uh, Sumi informs Suzu what happened to their parents. Now, uh, what happened to her mother was that um, she went to the spring festival in the main city and did not come home because the mom went off and yeah. Um, and then her father did survive initially, but then what happened was he got ill and died very soon after, like many. Uh, and her sister in herself right now is uh, bedridden and um, they're they're like laughing and they're, you know, having like a good conversation and like it, at, at some points. Right. But there is that moment where Sumi like has really no strength like she can't even work outside with um uh with the nori and uh she ends up like look like lifting her arm and looking at her arm and there's like these bruises right and she yeah. says like i wonder if i'm ever going to get better and, and the fact you know she doesn't the <laughs> fact is that yeah exactly she doesn't she does die um it doesn't say that in the thing but this is actually what happened to a lot of people where they would die after the fact, whether it was a year, um, two years, a decade afterwards. Yeah, because they were exposed to all that radiation. I mean, you know, there's that one story, um, you know, a thousand paper uh, cranes, right, where the little girl, I think she did 600 or something. Um, 
uh, of the paper cranes and um she was you know a victim of hiroshima in the end many years later and that's again something we're going to get to after we finish talking about this movie yeah so anyways it kind of goes um she meets her husband in hiroshima um which is kind of deserted at this point but uh he's like returning for his naval service or like returning from it and she Mm -hmm. goes to meet him and um he says that he's found a new job in hiroshima and that um they're either gonna move there or like travel or whatever um but as they're waiting for the bus they come across uh a little girl who um isn't starving yeah she's an orphan and it and it kind of goes a little bit into her story um she was just you know a normal little girl living uh with her mom uh in a house and then the bomb goes off and um and it rips off her mom's arm yeah and there's glass shattered everywhere and i obviously the mother protected her child and then they started walking and um the reason why this little girl is taken to Suzu, uh, Suzu is because she has only one arm. And, um, anyway, so her, the mother ends up dying and, um, and just kind of sitting there and the little girl stays with the mother until she's fucking rotted. Like it's, it's so sad. Like this was the moment that I started crying my eyes out (laughs) because I just, I couldn't, this was, so devastating but um in the end this little like they feed the little girl because they had dropped like a piece of sushi or something and the little girl was eating it and um then they just decided to take her in yeah and they ended up adopting her and taking her back to Corey. um and at this point or whatever she's like covered in fleas and stuff because you know for the last couple of months she's been and then it ends on a kind of bittersweet note you know Kiko's like, yeah, she can fit in her roommate's clothes. Well, yeah, and uh, there is another part that uh, that you Grace did not missed. see. <laughs> yeah, you missed. <laughs> but it kind of taught. It, it kind of shows uh, a little bit about uh, this family, like the family with the new little girl, uh, and shows that uh, Suzu is teaching the girl how to make a dress or make some clothes. And it turns out that the girl's really good at it. And she makes Kiko a new dress. And then uh, some of the fabric is used for uh, Suzu. And then it's also used for the little girl's dress, too. Uh, so they all have, like, a very similar pink polka dot um, outfit, right, with all the fabric. And, um, and it just uh, it shows that, you know, they're all living together at this home like at the house and they're you know having a bit of a happy life and then the second part um it's it goes into Rin's story which um it shows that she was a very poor child that was uh, given away to work in a wealthy household uh until she was older uh or yeah she was to work in this wealthy household but I guess one of the children there or whatever uh, treated her like shit so she ran away and that's when she met Suzu and uh, she was kind of taken care of a little bit for um by the grandmother but then she ended up going to the red light district in Kore and uh, she was um <coughs> 
excuse me. And, um, and she worked there for some time. And, uh, and then it also shows that, um, I don't know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Brain fart. Um, yeah. But then... uh, well, she becomes a prostitute and then that's how she meets, uh, Suzu's husband. Yeah. Like, and they had a relationship for a very short time. It doesn't, it kind of alludes to it, but doesn't, it does it more in the manga. Uh, and then, um, it kind of hints that Suzu may have realized who Rin was when they encountered as adults. Uh, and then it kind of ends off on a, on a sad note because, um, Rin has been lost in an heavy, uh, in a heavy air raid. Yeah. So yeah. Again, like I didn't watch that part. Aisling had filled me in a little bit before we started. So I mean, that's that's the movie. And uh, before we get into the tests, I do want to do some history for you real quick um, about the battle of battles in the Pacific of World War Two. There were 1.25 million battle casualties and wounded. Um, over a million of these casualties actually occurred between June of 1944 and June of 1945. So most of the casualties of the war for Americans, anyway, um, happened in the last year. Uh, now in the Pacific, uh, one of the major battles was Iwo Jima. There were 21,000 people fighting in Iwo Jima on the Japanese side. 99% of those uh, soldiers were killed. 99%. Um, Of the 117,000 Okinawans and Japanese troops in Okinawa, only 7,401 surrendered. The number of surrendered is important because that was an unprecedented number of surrender, but that means everybody else died out of that 117. It was like 94%. Fuck. Yeah. Um, in March of ni- March 9th of 1945 was the firebombing of Tokyo that killed an estimated 100,000 people. Um, Kokura was the site of one of, the, one of Japan's largest munition plants. That's why it was targeted for air, gra- air raids. That was the city in the movie. Correct. Uh, yeah. I said it wrong. Now, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were chosen as the targets for the hydrogen, not hydrogen bombs, the nuclear bombs because of their prime location. Hitting them would obtain the greatest psychological effect against the Japanese, and it would inspire a fearful respect of this new weapon that the U.S. had produced. Those were the words of those in charge at the time in the U.S. The U.S. dropped leaflets in potential areas of the bombing um, to let people know. Um, In the movie, there's this one part where you see that, and they talk about how they're going to use the American propaganda as toilet paper. Yeah. Um, that's, That's what that's from. So the U.S. did drop leaflets in potential areas warning that there might be air raids or bombings in that area and to clear out. Um, But, of course, nobody listened because it was enemy propaganda. Yeah. 
the Hiroshima bomb uh, was dropped. It killed between 70 and 80,000 on initial impact and wounded another 70,000. Um, it also killed between 90 and 93% of all the doctors and nurses in the city. So after that, there wasn't a lot of medical care available. Uh, the casualty deaths were between 35 and 40,000 and 60,000 injured in Nagasaki. And to put that in perspective, I've given you all of these really high numbers, right? Yeah. To put that in perspective, when America entered the war because of Pearl Harbor, only 2,403 people died at Pearl Harbor. So, I mean, I'm not saying what the Japanese did at Pearl Harbor was was good. I, I don't. No. But <laughs> the fact that we killed 200,000 civilians... It, and that's that's only in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like uh, exactly. And like, like those those are estimates, you know. At this point, so we. Yeah, I mean, I be... put here up to one hundred and forty six thousand people died as a result of Hiroshima bombing, thanks to exposure from all of the radiation. Yeah, um, and up to eighty thousand people died from the bombing of Nagasaki. So. That's over 200,000 people dying in just two bombings. Now, I'm not saying that America was wrong to enter into a war with Japan after we were attacked. But the fact that they chose cities for the psychological impact they would have on Japan, who was already losing at the time, it, it fucks me up. I, I gotta be real. Like, it's disgusting. <laughs> I mean... You know, I didn't know I mean, I gave part. you the numbers of Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Like, yeah. you know? Like, Japan was losing. They only had 25 airships, or 25 really good battleships, yeah. uh, compared to the hundreds that the Americans had. Like, the... There were already talks of negotiating for peace between Japan and the U.S. after Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that America decided to drop two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki when they were, like, Japan was already almost to the point of giving up, it's just insane to me, like. <laughs> I mean, I know war is war, but I I don't know. <laughs> it's something that, well, like I said before, in the West, we don't think of it as that because uh, the fact is that um, the U.S. won, right? Um, because they did have uh, much more of a war machine and... Also, there most of the fighting was done um, in the east rather than um, on U.S. soil. The only, as we know, the only time that there was, you know, an instance of uh, being on U.S. soil was Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. 
again, horrific event, but the devastation, the numbers, the devastation um, that happened to the Japanese people, and even after the war, is in my opinion sickening. The Japanese, like the Japanese Imperial Army, was like fucking terrible. I mean, well, that's exactly what happened in Nanking was oh fucking horrific. Yeah, no one's denying that. It's the fact that Americans specifically targeted civilians by the hundreds of thousands to send a message to Japan. Like, that's what eats me up, you know? Like, when they attacked Pearl Harbor, they were attacking a military base. Yeah. When Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, they were attacking the military base. Yes, there were civilians working there, but the primary target was taking out the Pacific Fleet. And America's idea of retaliation after they were already winning the war and slaughtering Japanese soldiers was to go, hey, let's kill a hundred thousand people with this really new bomb. Well, I kind of have to wonder, did they know the extent of the destruction that the bombs would... The scientists knew that they would... It was almost like a test to see how yeah. much damage it could do, which is, you know, crazy. They actually were going to target a couple of other cities, but one of the cities had a lot of um, intellectual types in Japan that lived there. So Which city they was actually... <sighs> Kyoto? Yeah, Kyoto. That's oh, it. Oh, fuck. I that would have been awful. They were going to... Kyoto, Kyoto the... was on the target list. But then they took Kyoto off the target list because they were like, hey, a lot of smart people and scientists live here. And we want to see what kind of destruction these bombs will do. And we'll need these very smart people to help, you know, figure that out. So they took Kyoto off the list. And that's why Nagasaki got put on it. Oh, my God. And Nagasaki had already been raided by air raids. That's why the... um, the casualty rate of the atomic bomb was not as bad as it was in Hiroshima because that city had already been partially destroyed by previous air raids. It wasn't there also the because the bigger bomb was uh, was dropped on Nagasaki, right? Yeah, but the casualty rate was lower because that city had already been destroyed in part by air raids. Oh fuck, that is some fucked up shit. Yeah, I mean, war's not pretty, but, like, mm. so I'm sure I've pissed off quite a few patriots by laying down facts. Patriots. Well, it's not just that. Like, if you think about the war machine that was World War II, we haven't had anything to that extent. Like, this is something that we can even fathom at this point. Like, well, I mean, the only thing that I can take into account as far as casualty rates compared to initial attack, is what's going on now in um, Iraq and Afghanistan, uh-huh. where the casualty rate is somewhere between 1 and 6 million. Fuck. Yeah, there's no real number. Like, you and I have both listened to stories about the horrifying things that were done to get us into Iraq. Yeah, it's... You know, and the things that people have done as military contractors in Iraq. Like, 
the massacre of Fallujah. Uh, yeah, just look up Blackwater. That's all you have to do. Yeah, um, it is fucking. I mean, two disgusting. two thousand five hundred people died uh, on September eleventh, two thousand one. Afghanistan and Iraqi casualties, mostly civilian. Like I said, are between one and six million. I think like there's no definitive number because a lot of our stuff has been done by military contractors who didn't have to keep track of how many people they killed or how many bullets they they shelled out. I mean, it's terrifying. I would also like to say something about the atomic bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Canada pretends like we don't didn't have anything to do with it, but we did. Yeah. Like the Manhattan I mean, Project was done in the States, but we also had Canadian scientists that were working on this. The agreement for nuclear arms was done in Quebec City. Uh, yeah, when... exactly. So, uh, but this, this is stuff I didn't even from... actually know. Yeah, America had to get permission from, I think, France, the UK, and Canada before they could use the bombs. Yeah. And... So... And the actual conference uh, where it was signed by Sir Winston Churchill and Franklin uh, Roosevelt was done in Quebec City in 1943, right? So mm -hmm. the fact is that... Um, can and and we also put Japanese people into internment camps in Canada. We don't talk about these things because Canada is a great place where everybody's included, but there are problems in Canada, and I want to bring that up. That yeah, I don't get me I mean, wrong. I love my country, but we have done fucked up things too. Yeah, I mean, it's just like Franklin Roosevelt is probably one of the greatest presidents we've ever had, but he was racist as shit. Yeah. Like, he did a lot for uh, social welfare, but that was really just to benefit white people. Mm. Um, you know, he signed the declaration to intern Japanese uh, American citizens in internment camps, um, which are no different than you know, the concentration camps, except we weren't sending Japanese Americans to the gas chambers. But we were shooting them if they approached the fence. So Yeah. I mean they don't teach you that well, in again, history this class. is this this is shit that you don't learn in, in any like in American high school or middle school, you don't learn this shit. Well it's like we said, it's romanticized in America and in Canada for some ungodly reason because History is we written won. by the people who win, but we also need to tell yeah. these stories of the other side. And I mean, it's it's the same. It, Germany. Nothing is ever. Nothing is ever clearly black and white. Yeah, and I mean, there's also you know the fact that, um, like the other you know front of the war in Germany, like. That's a whole nother fucking kettle of fish oh because both sides like, did some fucked up what shit. The, what the Red Army did in Berlin after Berlin fell to Allied forces is one of the most horrific things I've ever heard about. Mm -hmm. like, well, it, it got to a point where 
This is something that I uh, I read. Um, and the Red Army basically raped every woman in the entire city. That's just like yeah. it didn't matter the fucking age. We are talking about yeah, children, I... teenagers, old women, Ugh. like everybody. And it got so bad to the point that little kids were playing a game called Cumfrau, where little boys would all jump onto little girls and like sit on them. It's horrific. Like war yeah. is not pretty. But no. you get like the pretty version when you're in school. Yeah. You know. And it's then you watch documentaries on it and you're like, oh my fucking God. Like I, I think that's no one what... is no one is innocent. <laughs> I think though that is loses. why everybody loses. Like in anime <laughs> Um, there is definitely this ongoing theme of, like, war is destructive, and that is the clear reason why that that happens, that they, you know, uh, bring this up in anime and their other um, forms of entertainment because, because they, you know, their grandfather or their grand. Uh, parents, their great grandparents saw firsthand, uh, and in some yeah. cases, their their parents, you know. Yeah. Well. So this was another fun got... one. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is fun. Well, at least you got to laugh a little bit. I I think that's why I liked <laughs> this movie because it it didn't shield you from the horrors the of horror? war. But it also, you know, showed the slice of life and the humor with everyday life. So Exactly. It was an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. I actually really liked this. I really liked this movie. It was a good one. Yeah. Um, now, uh, let's do our tests. Uh the Bechdel test, which is two named female characters talking on screen alone about something other than a man, it's a pass. Macomori test, a woman having her own character arc that's not about pushing a man's character arc forward, it's a pass. <clears throat> Racial Bechdel test, uh, two people, two non-white characters who have names talking about something other than a white character, it's a pass. Duvernay test, a, a non-white character having a story arc that doesn't push a white character's story arc, it's a pass. And the sexy lamp test. Can you replace a named female character in this movie with a sexy lamp and it not affect the plot? And you cannot. You cannot replace any of the women that are named in this movie with a sexy lamp. So it's a pass. Even the courtesan. She played an important role. Exactly. So you can mark this as the second movie that has gotten all five pass. What was the uh, first one again? Hidden Figures is the other one. That's oh, yeah. That's all pass. Okay. So, is this movie feminist? Fuck yeah. It also it shows, like, the feminine touch... the feminine side, too. It's it's not, like, in your face. This is feminist. Yeah, it's, it does, it's not hit you over the head. This is a feminist film. It's very subtle. The whole movie is kind of subtle until the end where you have to witness the violence. Yeah. You know? Um, now, is it a good movie? Oh, fuck yeah, it is. 
I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. You know what? I'm like I really actually, sad that it did I, not. Like it didn't get nominated. It got nominated for a lot of things, but it didn't get nominated for like anything with the Oscars or anything yeah, like that. I honestly think that if I ever, you know, make my history teaching dreams come true, like normally when we do uh, World War Two, like Torah, Torah, Torah is the movie that we watch. But I think that if I'm given the chance to be a history teacher in high school and I teach world history, I'm going to show this movie instead. Just as a different perspective. So. Yeah. That's if I ever accomplish my dream. <laughs> I think you will. I think you right will. Next to, uh, right next to author. <laughs> uh, so. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's that. <laughs> We're done. Um, so I guess let let you know our deets. Um, so we now have a Twitter account, which is uh, Feminist Critique without the E at the end because I missed out. But um, just for updates, because uh, like whenever the podcast might be late or we might miss a week or whatever may happen uh, in the future, we're kind of going to just let you know there. Um, we do. Oh. Uh, we also have the Facebook page, which you can go and like. And um, we've also got the email, which is thefeministcritiquepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter as Agilene's, A-I-S-L-E-N-E-S. And you can also check me out with my radio show, um, which I'm daily mountain time from 10 till 2, and that's at kicks.fm. Uh, we play live on the internet. Also, none of the views you expressed here. I mean, that's kind of a given. I say some shit <laughs> things, whatever. Uh, um, and you can check me out on Twitter, at South of Grace. So I guess that's it until next week, which we're going to have two. Um, your yeah. name and Ghost in the Shell are going to be coming out by next Tuesday. <laughs> well, I think we're going to do... Because we still have a few. Um, Ghost in the Shell will definitely be either the 28th or the 29th. And then the 31st will... Oh, shoot. Did I say? Your name is going to be the 28th or 29th. And then Ghost yeah. in the Shell will be the last day of the month. Because we just wanted to do a little bonus episode. Mostly because I'm, I'm yep. forcing Gracie into it. <laughs> basically yeah. and uh the next week i mean next month is going to be our lgbt uh it's pride month so we're going to be doing lgbt films or lgbt representation uh and we're still trying to finalize that list um we're back and forth on a whole bunch well like <laughs> yeah because i the there's a There's lot so of There's so many that I want to do, and then it's like, oh, but we can only do four, maybe five. <laughs> oh my god, you know what we should do for the lesbian movie? Saving what? Face. What? Saving Face. It's an I've indie. I've never heard of that. It's an indie movie about, um, uh, like. <laughs> oh well, just tell me after we end this podcast. Oh okay. <laughs> I think we should do that one. We'll see you guys next. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. Don't you cut me off, you bitch. Love you.
<laughs> okay. Okay. I'll actually end it. Okay. We'll actually see you guys later. Bye. Are you going to say bye, Gracie? I did say bye, but I'll say it again. Bye. Bye. I wanted to make a quick note uh, at the end of this podcast saying that both me and Gracie understand that World War II is a very complicated subject and there's a lot of hurt, generations of hurt from many different cultures around the world and uh, from you know, the Imperial Japanese Army taking over parts of uh, China and Korea, the Philippines, and um, most a good chunk of Asia um, to the German army taking over, you know, a large part of Europe. Uh, The fact is that it is a very, very complicated subject that has a lot of intricate parts in it that obviously we couldn't cover in, in this hour and 40 minutes podcast. So that's all I wanted to say about that. And I also want to thank all of our listeners out there for listening. 